Hey everyone, welcome back to Real Talk NFT, where we talk all things Web3. Super excited today to have Dan Nisanoff here, who's the founder and CEO of Game of Silks, plenty of exits and experience in Web1, Web2 world even. But you know, I'm not gonna butcher it. I'm gonna have, you know, Dan, you talk a little bit about kind of like your background and what inspired, you know, what was the inspiration for Web3 for you? Sure, uh, Joe, thank you for having me on the show. Um, excited to be here. Um, so I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. I'm, uh, I typically am attracted to cutting edge, uh, bleeding edge, cutting edge technologies. Uh, I got into my first business uh, with Web1. I built uh, one of the leading B2B exchanges. Um, it was in the semiconductor industry, a company called Partminer. Um, my second company was an exchange in luxury goods. Uh, my uh, my third company was not a tech company. It was a retail concept. Oh, okay. And then I got back into tech when Web3 came out. I got incredibly excited about blockchain um, and built my first um, Web3 company, a company called The Crown League, which was a blockchain fantasy sports mm. platform in football, um, which ultimately was sold to the NFL uh, Hall oh, of nice. Fame back a few years ago. Uh, and we started a Game of Silks um, two years ago. Uh, as Web3 started maturing. So that's my journey. Awesome. And do you have background in the mm-hmm. vertical that you're building out? I know it's very niche, very unique in, in horse racing, If uh, for those of you who don't know what Game of Silk is about. And if you could tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, I'm relatively new to horse racing. Um, uh, I partnered up with a mm-hmm. horse racing uh, veteran, uh, a guy named Troy Levy, who runs Tropical Racing, um, a large farm um, that does training, uh, breeding racing uh, in Kentucky. He really kind of immersed me in the industry, uh, Mm. which is how I was able to marry tech with this industry. Um, I do have a deep background in fantasy sports, and this is a blockchain fantasy sports concept. Um, So if you think about the blockchain fantasy sports world, there are really... Uh, only three companies in the space. There is So Rare, which is a kind of the mm-hmm. leading uh, their poster child for Web3 gaming. Uh, they launched and made their success in European soccer, um, yeah. where you know they sell an NFT of a player. You use the player to set up lineups, and you can enter them in contests that don't require fees. Um, uh, DraftKings introduced a product called Rainmakers, which is very similar to So Rare for American football and now golf and UFC fighting, and Game of Silks is the category killer in horse racing. So our game is very different, but has many of the same mechanics uh, as both So Rare and uh, DraftKings Rainmakers. Um, We're a, uh, as you mentioned, a horse racing game. Um, Our game starts uh, with the real world of horse racing. So understanding that a little bit is always a good way to get into understanding our game. Um, In the United States, there are 20,000 horses that are born every year mm-hmm. that are registered to race. There are 30,000 races a year that give away over a billion dollars in prize money to the wow. owners of those horses. And what we do in our game is we tokenize every horse in the real world that's born. We turn them into a digital asset, into an NFT. And we sell that NFT to the public. So each horse has one NFT. Uh, So every year we have approximately 20,000 NFTs that we sell, and they're all one of ones. When you buy one of our NFTs, you buy it in an unrevealed form. So everybody pays the same price. 
and nobody knows what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, you then reveal it. At two years old, the horse starts racing. And uh, every time the horse races and wins a race in the real world, you get paid um, just like the real owner does. So our economy is set today to 1% of the real world economy. Mm. So if you own a horse in our game and that game is racing, uh, that horse is racing and wins a $100,000 race, you would win $1,000 in our game. Um, An average horse starts six times a year, races six times a year, and uh, starts about 25 times in their lifetime. So when you buy one of these horses, you're buying a an asset that can be productive racing for up to 10 years. And then once they're done racing, they can start breeding. And in our game, when your horse produces offspring um, that's, that's registered to race, we sell those offspring, those babies, when they turn one year old. And the owner of the mother and the owner of the father each get a distribution of a percentage of the sale price of their children from the blockchain. So you keep earning rewards um, through the entire life of a horse. And a, a typical horse can live up to 25 years. Wow. Wow. So definitely a lot of longevity in mind here. As you mentioned, the baby starts racing after two years down the road and then has a lifespan of 25 years. And that's mirrored in in, in real life. And that's a very interesting concept that I have personally not seen yet. So the, the the percentage of winnings that a real life horse mirrors in the real real life, like the racing, how does that connection happen? Is that from the association or from the real life betting platforms? How's that happen? So um, our NFTs track the entire life cycle of the horse from the day it's born to the day it dies. Um, so when a horse is born, it has to register uh, with the governing body, which is the jockey club in the United mm-hmm. States. In, and there's a jockey club in every country. Globally, by the way, there's almost a billion and a half people that have watched, that watch or that bet on a horse race in a given year. So yeah, very big sense. industry. Um, the U.S. is about 10% of the global market. Um, mm. but it's, a, it's a global sport. Um, so our NFTs track the day the horse is born, as it grows up, when it works out and shows how fast it's able to race. Once it starts getting entered in races, its performance in a race when it starts having children, their performance, we track everything. And it's yeah. all literally embedded in your NFT. Whatever happens in the real world, we um, we get notified through the NFT because it accumulates that data and then it directs the blockchain to distribute the rewards. Um, so it's all automated um, and it all happens within our game. I see. The, way the, the way the economy works, I think you were asking that question, yeah. is we take in... We sell digital assets, right? We sell horses. There's land in our game because a horse has to live somewhere. So you buy land, develop farms. Those farms are collaborative businesses in our game that are really cool, which I can explain later. Um, And uh, you can trade your horses. You can syndicate your horse. You can take your horse and break it into many pieces and invite friends and family or the general public to invest in the horse with you and own the horse collaboratively with you and share in the rewards. Um, that's a really cool feature. But we make our money by taking in the proceeds from the sale of all those assets each year and then redistributing a percentage mm-hmm. of those proceeds to the winners. That makes complete sense. That's that's something that right now, uh, the fractionalization, as you mentioned, of the, the assets is not something you could do in, in real life yet, right? That not to my knowledge, mm-hmm. because I'm not deep in the horse racing world. So it's actually quite common to see horses oh, okay. indicated. Yeah. So if you wanted to buy a piece of um, of a horse, that's very common. Um, you would uh, 
you would go to the owner and the owner would sell you an ownership interest in a percentage of the horse. Mm -hmm. In our game, we actually create a new NFT um, uh, and split up the NFT into many different pieces. And each owner owns a piece of that uh, horse's earning power. Definitely. Yeah, that makes a little bit more sense in everything in terms of blockchain because it's more transparent, 24-7 market uh, versus, yep. you know, the, uh, the mirror in the new real life. And the industry itself, I know you mentioned that it's a global, you know, it's bigger, of course, globally than it is uh, nationwide here in the States. And how is it? How is it? Is it being, is it a, a growing sport? I know that I saw something on your Twitter page where now a lot of, uh, not pertaining to horse racing in real life, but, you know, a lot of casinos have the digital horse racing within their casinos that a lot of people are speculating yeah. on that. You know, horse racing is something that's very fascinating. Not a lot of people know the details of the game, but everybody likes to watch these beautiful, majestic animals race. Uh, owning a stable of championship horses uh, is something that is aspirational. Most people can't afford to do it. A typical horse um, costs about $100,000 to buy. Uh, they can cost up to $2 million uh, at one year old to buy. Uh, so they're not really accessible to most people. It's called the sport of kings because it really used to be only affordable uh, by kings, by really wealthy, influential people. Um, uh, to maintain a horse in the real world is about $50,000 a year. So it's quite an expensive hobby. Um, we make it affordable to the average person by recreating the same experience in the virtual world. You, in our game, when you buy a horse, you actually feel like you're connected to that horse. You're going to research that horse in the real world. You're going to see what it looks like. And when it's racing in your local track, you're going to go there and want to meet the horse. You're going to want to watch your horse racing. Um, and it's a pretty cool experience. Um, so that is something we're delivering that's really, really exciting. That's that's awesome that, you know, there's in real life access to, you know, accurate data of, uh, of the asset itself. And will there be activations, you think, integrated in the future where there may be uh, a purchase of sorts? Uh, through, you know, whatever mechanisms, mechanisms you have for a horse or a racetrack or a farm, like you mentioned? So uh, right now you can buy horses in our game. Every horse that is alive, that is registered to race as a two-year-old is available for sale in our game. This year, there were about 17,500 of those horses. Um, uh, you can buy land in our game and build land into a farm. And then you can use that farm to create a storefront where you can syndicate your horses. People will come to you because you're specializing in a particular bloodline or a particular type of a horse, maybe horses that have never won a race or only horses that have won races or only horses that are a certain price point or only horses that come from a certain uh, bloodline. Um, and then people will come to you because the blockchain is transparent. They can see how you perform. They right. can see how well your horses are doing, how good of a bloodstock agent you are. How well are you at picking horses? Uh, and then people are going to want to invest with you. Um, so that's one use of a farm. Another use of a farm is for people that don't want to buy land, they need to put their horse somewhere. So they'll come to you and they'll say, I'd like to put my horse in your farm. Um, how much are you going to charge me for that? And the charge is in kind. You're going to ask them to pay you a percentage of their winnings to keep their horse on your farm. And so in our game, you don't even have to own a horse. You could just build a farm and attract right. people to put their horses on your farm and you get a piece of their action every time their horse wins. That's exciting. That's gamification in a different way. Something more appealing to myself if I'm not a horse uh, racing advocate. And I have friends that are horse racing uh, aficionados. They love yeah. horse racing. And I could see if they came into Game of Silk and said, hey, Joe, I have a horse. 
or a few of them that are doing pretty well, would you like to get involved with one or two of them? And if I trust that person, with, well, my friend who's a, uh, 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 who loves horse, yeah, he, I would definitely, you know, um, you know, put some. And every time that horse is racing, you'll get a notification. You'll be able to jump onto a Twitch stream and watch the race with all of your friends and your co-owners. It's pretty cool. And, uh, um, and there's, I mean, the rewards are incredible. I mean, people are, we've already, this, the, the game started in its alpha version about two or three weeks ago. And uh, we've had, I think, 20 races so far. So tens of thousands of dollars have been distributed to the owners of the winning races. Um, we've had uh, nearly $10 million in transactions on the platform in the first year. We've only been around uh, for a year. Um, and the game didn't even launch till a few weeks ago. Um, we have about 25,000 people um, that are part of the community, um, very active community. Um, our assets, you know, you had mentioned that your audience kind of out of the space, our assets have um, kind of bucked the trend of the market and have been going up uh, in the opposite direction of all the other NFT projects um, over the last year or so. Had you invested in our in our game, and uh, in April twenty seventh was our first mint. Um, the assets are worth about uh, two and a half times as much as they were a year ago, which is unusual in this space because it's been clobbered by the bear market. So. We're very happy. I mean, right. we've got a great community, super fun project, very easy to relate to because it's you're basically buying a derivative uh, asset of the real world. You're buying a digital twin of a real world horse, um, which is right. fun. Yeah, I, I've been to a handful of races myself. Del Mar, um, Hong Kong twice actually. Surprisingly, is very big in Hong Kong. Huge. And when I lived in when I lived in New Jersey, I went to the Meadowlands. Mm -hmm maybe five times a year. Cause I went with my friend who loved horse racing and it was just a great time out, a great atmosphere. And surprisingly, you know, a family fun, family fun event. I saw people bringing their families out they had bands oh. and not, not horse racing. Like I imagine it to be, which is just, you know, betting on a horse. It's like a whole affair. So I definitely see the fun side of, you know, a game of silk and, and whatnot. And I saw that you guys brought some people out to the Kentucky Derby also. Is that correct? We did. So we are, um, I should mention that, the industry has really embraced us. Um, we have very strong partnerships with Naira, which is the New York Racing Association. They own Saratoga. They own Belmont, which is the Triple Crown, the third leg of the Triple Crown. They own Aqueduct. Um, they're a partner of ours. Um, uh, Fox Sports, which they own together with Naira, uh, Naira Betts, um, and the largest broadcaster of horse racing. Um, they're doing a lot of work with us. And then the Jockey Club, which is um, the central body within the uh, or within the horse racing industry, is involved with us. So, um, you know, the largest players in horse racing have gotten involved with us because they see what we're doing is something that's going to be really good for the sport. You know, we're building fandom in a game where, you know, you have thousands of, of new rookies that enter the game every year and nobody really knows who they are. And now there's a reason to follow them. Now there's a reason to really get to know these horses and follow their lives. It's no different than, you know, if you're a sports enthusiast and you follow um, uh, football, you might start following a player when they're in high school and then follow them when they're in college. Right. And then they're in the NFL. In our game, you're starting with a baby right. that turns one years old. Right. And then when they turn two, they start racing. And then when they turn five, they might start breeding. You get to follow them their whole life. 
their whole career. You're going to remember every race that that horse went through. Um, you're going to remember every time you want a race. Um, it's very, very exciting. And it gives people a purpose and a passion um, in one of the most exciting, um, majestic sports of all time. Horse racing was the largest spectator sport in the United States 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, it lost a lot of its luster because when the internet came about, it became very easy to bet on horses without having to go to the racetrack. Mm -hmm. So the, what you were describing, kind of the pomp and circumstance of racing, um, has started to fade in many of the racetracks. You still have it in, in Del Mar. You still have it in Keeneland. You still have it in Churchill Downs during Derby Week. Um, you have that Saratoga has it all summer long, um, where every every day there's 60,000 people sitting in the stands. The Kentucky Derby was incredible. We did a um, we had a, uh, um, a sweepstakes with uh, the Kentucky Derby where we gave away um, seats in a box uh, at the starting line uh, for the Kentucky Derby to um, uh, one of the lucky holders of our avatars. Um, and we do those type of contests all the time. So if you own our assets, you get access to all kinds of really cool things. Nice. Um, the Kentucky Derby was incredible. You know, hundreds of 150,000 people, you know, cheering on uh, 18 horses racing around an oval. Uh, it's pretty mm -hmm. incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. I love seeing in real life activations with the onset of NFTs and you guys definitely seem to be doing that. So that's definitely exciting. A lot of value that I've gotten with some of the NFTs I own that are, you know, sports focused. Uh, so we get a little, a, a tiny bit technical, not too much. So I know that you guys were are working on Ethereum. Is that correct? I'm sorry, we're working on uh, on Ethereum the Ethereum platform. Yes, yes we yeah. are. Has that been difficult at all? I know that a lot of gaming type of uh, uh, projects are moving to you know chains with less gas fees. Um, sure. Is that something that's going to be agnostic for you guys in the future? So we started on Ethereum because we think Ethereum is where the market is today. It's a very stable blockchain. It's really where all the liquidity is, and liquidity is a very big part of our game. When you buy an asset, you should have the ability to liquidate it or sell it if you want to at any point. And we have people that buy and sell horses literally before a race and right after a race. So you might buy a horse uh, right before it races. You know it's racing. You want to own that horse. And if it doesn't well, do well, you might decide, you know what, I don't believe in the horse anymore. I want to be able to sell it. The Ethereum blockchain creates that liquidity. And there's a big market there. Now, having said that, it's a very expensive uh, technology to use, right? So most of the gaming platforms in our category, um, specifically SoRare uh, and Rainmakers, um, they've adopted Polygon as a layer two, which is really, um, uh, it sits on top of the Ethereum blockchain. It makes it cheaper to transact. Um, and we're looking at solutions um, like that, that will allow us to create a lower price point for transactions uh, than exists today. That's going to come. We're also building out a lot of features that will allow non-Web3 um, uh, clients to be able to onboard uh, in a Web2 environment without having to learn how to create a MetaMask wallet connected mm -hmm. to our website and all that stuff. And that'll be coming in a few months. Definitely. There's definitely a hurdle there of onboarding with the, the this hot wallets and MetaMask and whatnot. Totally. So it's good to hear, good to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys done a decent amount of secondary volume, over 1,000 you know, or 1200 Ethereum on the secondary market. So that's nothing to sneeze at. Uh, so that's good to see. And I know it's a hot topic right now. And I think either you yourself or Game of Soaks uh, talked about a little bit about how AI is affecting sports betting in real life and seeing how you guys may or may not be implementing that, you know, with their game itself. 
So, you know, AI is a very controversial technology <laughs> yeah. for a lot of reasons, especially in sports, because it is going to create a level setting environment for people that don't have access um, to the to the you know computer power, brain power to really dissect all of the information needed to be able to make good predictions in sports. Uh, right now, ChatGPT, which is the leading engine, does not offer current data around sports for that reason, right? So for many reasons, they don't offer you current information. That's going to change soon. And I imagine in this sport, it's going to affect it and it'll make it more accessible. So, you know, we don't have plans on our roadmap to integrate it today, um, mm -hmm. but I would imagine the industry will. And anything, you know, the beauty of our business is that anything that happens in the real world is relevant to our game. So if you open up a newspaper and you read about horse racing that week, it's relevant to our game. If you turn on Fox Sports and you watch America's Best Racing, you're learning about our game. You're watching horses that are in our game that you can own. Mm -hmm. um, so we get to leverage all that real world content. That's the beauty of fantasy sports. And I would imagine that once AI kind of creeps its way into this game, uh, that we'll start seeing a lot of that take place too. And it'll give the average person a better advantage. Got it. Yeah, that, it's just been a hot topic of late and there's so many angles that come out there. Uh, yeah, you'll be able to ask, yeah. you know, you'll be able to ask yeah. ChatGPT, um, hey, should I buy this horse? <laughs> right. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, play to earn is definitely, I, I believe that's a category, forgive me if I'm mistaking, um, where, you know, Game of Silk sits. And definitely there was a lot of, you know, spotlight on that in these last few years. And then a lot of spotlight turned away from that because, you know, a lot of people um, saw something happen in, in that uh, specific vertical. Uh, that wasn't great. A lot of people came and took advantage away from loyal fans and the loyal uh, users who are actually, you know, want to enjoy the game. Is there a way to protect that or is that kind of the category you sit in? Yeah, no. So it's a really good observation. So play to earn really captured <clears throat> every most of the games in Web3 uh, early on. Mm -hmm. um, the problem with play to earn uh, and the reason why a lot of these games blew up was because they all had native tokens and mm. they had no uh, constraint on supply, meaning that the publisher of the game could just print more tokens. Sure. And that created massive downward pressure on the value of these tokens as people earned them and eventually collapsed the game. And you saw that with Axie Infinity, you saw it with Zedrun, um, mm -hmm. both uh, actually Zedrun, is, it's, it's a horse racing themed game. It has nothing to do with what we do, right, but, right. Um, but they suffered from the same problems. Um, we are, although we are a play to earn game, meaning that you're buying assets that have the utility of being able to create an income stream for you, if you play the game well, um, uh, even though we have that component, uh, we don't have the same issues that these other games in the genre had. And specifically, um, the reason is because we don't have a native token. Uh, we use the Ethereum token, which means we can't control the liquidity um, or the supply of Ethereum and manipulate it like these other companies were able to do to balance their economies. Uh, and that protects our economy and, and allows us to avoid the issues that came up in the category. Yeah, you that's, that's that, yeah, you see that in all blockchain gaming. So all the leaders are on the Ethereum blockchain. They're not um, using native tokens. Gotcha. Yeah, that's something that you pointed out that I didn't realize. So now, yeah, most of those games did have tokens that kind of 
uh, they printed on them uh, at, at, at their yeah. whim, right? Yeah. So yeah. I mean, it's great. Right. You know what? It was great in the early days to earn tokens that had a lot of value. But, you know, a token is like a currency. There's supply and there's demand. And the more supply there is, the less value there is to the tokens, just like we see in the United States. You know, right now we're in a hyperinflationary period where when the government prints money, it devalues everybody's money and it mm -hmm. provides us with less spending power. Um, because all of these uh, all of these games are microeconomies, they operate under the same principles. I see. Awesome. And so being out for two years now, congratulations, by the way. Not many companies within Web3 has made it past even a one-year mark. Of course, they're not real, you know, utilizing real metrics like you guys are. They're more like profile pictures. You guys are a real company, a real game. What's like the biggest learning lesson? I know that, and I asked that, and I want to provide context here to a lot of founders because they, they come on board Web3 and then their vision and mission uh, starts one way, but then what they learn really quickly from the community that, you know, maybe should, it should be geared towards another big problem. Have you, was there any big learning lessons these last two years um, that you guys have found? You know, um, I'll say just based on my experience as a serial entrepreneur in technology, uh, timing is a big factor in terms of anybody's success. Mm -hmm. um, you can't really, nobody has a crystal ball, but if you get into the market when it's very frothy, and uh, it's exciting and everybody's making money, um, you can make a lot of mistakes. When you come into a market like we're in right now where it's very bearish um, and there's a lot of concerns around it, um, you have to really be spot on. You have to have a product that's incredibly compelling. Um, we do not have the luxury of being able to spend millions of dollars on marketing today because the environment is not there. So we rely on organic growth. Organic growth means you have to deliver a product people want and want to talk about and want to share with their friends. And if you can do that, um, you can buck the trend and really penetrate a market through virality, which is kind of what we're doing. Our success has come from word of mouth. We have mm -hmm. not uh, we have not spent a lot of money on generating or uh, or on generating contrived marketing. It's all organic. And I would um, advise anybody looking to get into Web three gaming, you know, one to think about the timing. Um, because now is not a good time to get into it if you're starting from scratch. Um, but that's going to change. These things come and go in cycles. Mm -hmm. uh, and two, um, you have to be able to survive on organic growth, um, not just uh, you know spending money on marketing. Yeah, absolutely. And seeing has you, you've learned a lot of major lessons from seeing other play darn games, and then you know surviving and hopefully thriving these next few years as you know the cycle turns, like you mentioned. Uh, what's in store in the future? I know that this industry, it, it may or may not, you're looking to either service the existing user base or maybe bring in more adoption. Um, so I know there's a, lot, a few questions in there, but uh, what's what's in plan? So I'll say kind of at a on a micro level in terms of our industry, horse racing, um, we're in the U.S. We have a large international constituency. Um, but our goal is to grow internationally. So as we get the U.S. locked down, we're going to look at other markets. And um, Hong Kong is a massive market. Japan is a massive market. Australia, New Zealand, massive markets. The U.K. These are markets where horse racing is as big there as U.S. football is here. Mm. Uh, so we intend to be in those markets, um, and that will be part of our, our growth trajectory. I think overall, play-to-earn gaming is here to stay. The idea that you can buy and own assets in a video game that you're playing and be able to make money through the ownership and utility of those assets is not going anywhere. Uh, it started 
It's been adopted and it's going to be the future of gaming. I like to call it investment gaming because it really mm -hmm. is a combination of investing, a combination of gaming and a combination of gambling. There's still luck involved. There's skill involved from a gaming perspective and there's investing involved. So I think that's the future of gaming. The, you know, the days where you signed up to buy a console game, you paid a hundred dollars for the game and uh, you don't own anything. You know, you've improved your players, but you don't own them. You can't sell them. You can't buy and sell skins. Um, you can't make money playing the game. Those days are over. And any and every gaming company knows that. It's just a question of time. De I, I definitely believe you. You're preaching to the choir. Uh, I came up in within, uh, I, I mean, I didn't come up within the gaming space, but I, but I played through the evolution of gaming evolu uh, uh, advancement and went through all the consoles and everything. I invested hundreds of hours into gaming and to see where it is today, uh, I don't think anyone can question it because I mean, just look at Twitch that the whole channel of Twitch is watching people game. I mean, that's speaks for itself. There's gaming arenas, gaming industries, you know, all around the world. Definitely. There's so much invested. And to your point, it could go away in a blink of an eye because no one owns anything at all that they invested hundreds of hours to. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, web three, the notion of decentralized ownership, the ability to provide access to these type of assets to the average person never existed before. Yeah. And so it's truly revolutionary. And we're at the very, very early stages. I mean, I lived through Web One. I was there in 1994 uh, when, you know, you logged on through the World Wide Web and it was incredibly clunky. And the smartest people in the world were saying, this is all smoke and mirrors. We'll never be able to buy anything on the Internet. We'll never be able to transact on the Internet. And they were all wrong. Right. The Internet was the biggest invention of our time. And yet Web3 is 10 times bigger and you still have all the pundits, you know, naysaying this is never going to happen. It's coming. It's going to happen. You know, less than one percent of the world has ever touched cryptocurrency or a crypto asset in a year or two from now. It will become mainstream and uh, it's going to be a fun ride for us. Absolutely. Now, hopefully this, this doesn't derail me from just closing everything up. But I, I, think, I think you guys have a DAO because it just popped up in my mind. And I love DAOs personally because it really helps the community have a voice. Uh, and I didn't forgive me because I didn't look too deeply into Game of Soaks DAO. Uh, what's the functionality? Do, is there big plans for it? Those are the things that, you know, I think a lot of people are excited about. Sure. So we launched the platform with the develop with the vision of forming a DAO that would run an economy that would fund the business and the DAO would be owned by the players. About six or seven months ago, we decided that the regulatory environment mm. was not sufficiently developed for us to really bring that vision to life. So we kind of stepped back off of it and we launched the product as a, as a cash game, as an Ethereum-based mm. uh, platform. Um, we still have the DAO uh, in our roadmap and it's just a question of waiting for, I think, the maturity in the, in the regulatory environment um, before we go down that path. I think that's a very risky path. A lot of these incredible platforms that have these visions for true decentralization are, are truly, you know, mind boggling and they should all succeed. But, you know, we're in very kind of choppy waters right now in terms of wanting to do the right thing and navigate this space in the right way from a regulatory perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I think the community will appreciate your, your attentive approach, you know, make sure that the regulations are there. So for the long run. Uh, so that's really good to see. And we, with the, with the speed of how things advance here, uh, weeks like a dog years here in Web3, uh, it would be great to have you back here, Dan, within 
I would like to say a year, but I, I believe in six months, everything's going to change massively. Uh, it'll be great to see how things advance. Yeah. Joe, we'd lo- I'd love to be here. Thank you. Perfect. Well, I'll put the links of all things Game of Silk, Discord, Twitter, site, everything down below so everyone could check that out and enjoy that. Um, and it's been great. It's been a pleasure having you on here, Dan. Yeah, thank you. It's an it's an easy game to get into, an incredibly vibrant and warm community of people. Jump on our Discord, engage our community. People will literally handhold you through the process of getting involved. And uh, it's just super fun. And we're, we're very lucky and happy to be here. So thank you. Awesome, Dan. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Joe. Bye. Bye.